0: one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we get the opportunity to do that this morning. Um, I am excited that you're here at Northside this morning. I want to welcome you here, especially if you are some of our guests would love to know who you are and, uh, how we can minister to you. There's a portion of the bulletin that you can fill out if you will. And you can tear that out place in the offering plate or give it to a minister at the door at the end of the service. Um, But right now, uh, we want to take this time just to greet one another and and, uh, let each other know that you're excited that uh, you get to start out 2019 in God's house this morning. So find someone and shake their hand and let them know that you're excited to see them. This (laughs) (laughs)
1: this <laughs> <returns>. <laughs>
2: You for your for your love that you have for each and every one of us we just thank you for the opportunity to come to your house and praise and worship you this morning just ask that uh, you would take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom in your heavenly and gracious name amen
0: Children, if you will come join me up on stage here. Woo-wee. All right, how are we doing today? I I can tell you're so excited to get back to school. you've, you've, You've enjoyed your Christmas break, but school has just got you so excited you can't contain yourself. No? All right. Well... Let's just be dull then. Come on. What do I have right here? What is this? Or or what are these? There's more than one. They're what? Training wheels. wheels. Yeah. Uh, These training wheels, uh, what are they used for? Just tell me. They train you how to ride a bike or a scooter. So what do I do? I just stand on them here? What, What do I have to? I have to put them on a bike. Well, I think if I put them together like that, they would sit right up on the handlebars. Would that work? No? They go on the bottom of the bike, like underneath the pedals. She's <laughs> like, Dad, come on now. Yeah, so these are training wheels. I Believe it or not, uh, as, as, as brilliant as you think I might be, I do know what training wheels are for. I know where they go. I know where they came from. Yeah, your bicycle. They came off of your bicycle. And so, um, yeah, but we use training wheels, uh, and they they help us to balance the bike when we're trying to learn how to ride a bike. Does that sound right? Can you agree with that? When you're trying to learn how to ride a bike, and then we call them big boy or big girl bicycles when you take the training wheels off. And now as soon as you take the training wheels off, you're all set and ready to go, right? You're just ready to hop on and, and, and take off and go. Is that is that the way it works? You gotta learn. Okay, so so you've been training, but when you take the training wheels off, then there's still some more you have to learn, right? Yeah. That's right. You have to try to balance on your bike. Now I saw a video a while back where this guy had this really strange bicycle where he hooked it up and somebody made it for him with some different gears and so when he turned left the wheel went right and when he turned right the wheel went left and this guy had learned how to ride a bike but he hopped on this bike and you know what it looked like he didn't know what he was doing he he he, kept, he couldn't he couldn't go 2 feet uh, but learning to ride a bike takes practice it takes practice but you know what else it takes A real fancy word called perseverance. Now, you don't have to remember that. You'll probably get it confused with perspiration, but it also takes a little bit of perspiration, mostly from your parents as they teach you how to ride a bike. But perseverance, here, listen, what I mean is just sticking to it and don't give up. You just keep going, and eventually, hopefully, you learn how to ride a bike. Training wheels remind me of this this verse of scripture from Galatians. Look at this. Galatians 6 9. Listen, it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Now, what's that saying? You if you do good, you keep doing good, don't give up. Sometimes you do good and maybe people don't even notice. Maybe nobody says thank you. Maybe you do good and 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 nobody says anything at all. But the Bible says, keep doing good. Just keep doing good. And there's a promise hidden in there. It says, when it's time, when it's time, all that that you've been doing that's good, you'll see fruit from that. You'll see the benefit of it. It's kind of like riding a bike. Maybe you get up on the bike and you fall over. Well, don't just quit. Don't just quit. Get back on the bike again and try again. And you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying. And then one day, you know what happens? You're riding a bike all by yourself with no training wheels. All right? Let's do good. Let's, let's just keep doing good. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for these children who are here this morning. And, uh, Lord, what a what a word for us just to just keep doing good, even when we grow tired. Just keep doing good. And in due time, whenever it's right, we'll see the fruit of that, and we'll see that benefit. So, God, help us. Help us to just keep doing good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Stand again as we sing.
3: Who can cheer the heart like Jesus, by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious, oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that thrills my soul is Jesus, he is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Love of Christ so freely given, grace of God beyond degree. Mercy higher than the heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see. What a wonderful redemption. <coughs> How my sins are red like crimson, can be whiter than the snow, all that thrills my soul is Jesus, he is more than life to me, and the fairest of ten thousand, in my blessed Lord I see, every need his hand supplies. Every good in him I see, on his strength divine relying, he is all in all to me. All that thrills my soul is Jesus, he is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand, in my blessed Lord I see. By the crystal flowing river with the ransom I will sing and forever and forever praise and glorify the king all that thrills my soul is Jesus he is more than life to me and the fairest of ten Thousand and my blessed Lord, I see.
2: All right, y'all can be seated for a second. Um, This this is the time where we normally have, uh, we've been having a missions spotlight uh, or a ministry update. And so today we're going to have a little bit of both. So uh, Chris Thornoy is going to come talk about Upward and because Upward is a ministry here but it's also a mission those fields are mission fields and so uh, Chris is going to talk to us a little bit about that.
4: So. All right good morning the Upward season is upon us um, football may be ending out in the NFL and the college but uh, we're just getting geared up here um, we're going to have the evaluations at the end of this month the practices start in February and the games start in March um, Jesus said to be fishers of men, and to catch fish, you got to have hooks in the water, and upward is a big hook in the water. You also either have to go where the fish are or get the fish to come to you. So we have a unique opportunity that the fish come to us. A significant number of people who participate in our upward program are not saved, or they are, they're unchurched. Um, So you have a unique opportunity to share the gospel with a group of lost people for an extended period of time. I don't know how much personal evangelism you do in your own life, but that's a very unique opportunity that's presented to you. So next Monday... Uh, or Wednesday next week, we're going to have an informational meeting here at the church. If you're interested in helping out with Upward in some way uh, at 4 o'clock next Sunday afternoon or 6 o'clock next Wednesday, come to one or the other, and we'll talk about some important dates and uh, what what's the expectations are and what, what, uh, what opportunities are available for you to help us out in Upward. Um, I've been recruiting people for about two two months now. That's when after soccer season ended, I started recruiting folks. So I've probably talked to you already, but if you're if I haven't asked you and you want to participate, please please come out. I, I didn't just overlook you on purpose. So come out and and uh, see. We'd, we're in need. We've got a lot of positions filled because of uh, just so many people are just uh, regular volunteers and willing to give of their time. But we're in need of probably about one more head coach and several several assistant coaches Um, if you you feel like hey I have no idea how to coach flag football I've never done that before make an assistant the head coach do what the head coach tells you and you won't have to you can you can uh, learn learn on the job I guess Um, young people if you are interested in earning service hours uh, for your resume for your brag sheet for college application um, you can earn a lot of service hours in one season of Upward so you can come out come out for that reason Um, we'll be glad to have you and we'll find a spot for you so if you're interested in helping in any way with Upward we'll be glad to have you and it's just a it's a great opportunity to get the word of God out. So to hope to see you guys next, next Sunday or next Wednesday.
2: Thank you, Chris. Uh, as Sunday school director, sometimes I get to talk to our, our Sunday school teachers. And uh, one thing I, I encourage them to do is to ask questions as they uh, present their lessons. And it kind of promotes um, interaction. Uh, so I have a couple of questions for you, and I, this isn't really the format for back and forth. But so, just a couple of questions, um, just to think about this morning. Um, if there's a word or phrase that would describe your prayer life, what is it? Uh, maybe it's maybe it's good. Maybe you think, "Hey, I'm good." Uh, maybe it's sporadic, uh, ordinary, and if we're honest, ordinary or mundane. Um, but would you say it's powerful? Would you say you have a powerful prayer life? Um, how about the church? Look around our nation today. Um, what w- would you say that we are having a powerful influence over our culture? How about God? How about our church, Northside? Uh, could we be known as a house of prayer? Uh, these are some questions. Just, just think about that as we, as we go through our, our talk this morning. Um, you know, last year we had the Bible reading plan, we introduced that, and I think several of you participated in that, and we felt that it was just a great year to get everybody to read the Bible together. Um, In 2019, we want to place a deliberate emphasis on prayer here at Northside, and we'll be talking more about that and more about opportunities to do that, but we really want this to become a house of prayer. Uh, On our adult discipleship classes at night, on Sunday nights, uh, we're going to have an a emphasis on prayer. And so I was reading through some Bible studies trying to determine kind of where we were going to go with that. And I ran across this book written by Michael Catt. He is the pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. Uh, you may have heard of that church. Um, this book is titled The Power of Persistence. Uh, and it's basically a book calling churches to pray. So I'm working through that book, so that's not going to be our study um, this quarter um, but a short quick commercial here if you come tonight we're going to talk a little bit about what we are going to talk about uh, for this quarter so come back tonight um, but I'm working through this book and uh, I want to talk about uh, some things that come out of the first chapter the first chapter talks about Elijah uh, what do we know about Elijah Elijah is known for uh, standing up to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and his powerful prayer and calling down fire from heaven Uh, he's known for before that he appeared before Ahab and and Jezebel uh, and he prayed and it didn't rain for almost three and a half years Uh, Elijah prayed powerful prayers his prayers were not mundane they were miraculous they were not ordinary and as we look at today he believed God to do the extraordinary He prayed for what seemed impossible because he knew that with God all things are possible. Yet remember, um, just think about uh, these things that we think about Elijah, but think about what James says about Elijah in James 5.17. And I'll just kind of give you the brief summary of that verse. It says, Elijah was human like you and me. That encourages me. It's good news because I know that we can pray like Elijah. We can have a powerful prayer life like he did. But it also challenges me, Uh, he was a man like us but are we men and women like him? Do We have the faith to pray these powerful prayers. So this morning I want to look at an an episode in Elijah's life, Uh, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you would stand with me as we read, we're going to read 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came, from, came to him, get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of, br- of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord, your God, lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterwards, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty. And the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. Let's pray together. God, just thank you for your word. Thank you for an example like Elijah that we can look at it, his powerful prayer life. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bless our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So, Elijah lived in an evil time. We had King Ahab, who I mentioned a couple of chapters previous in 1 Kings. The Bible says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all before him, and he came from a line of evil kings. He married Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper from Sidon, kind of where Zarephath is. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the people needed to turn back to God. And I would say we live in a similar time. You know, we sing the song, These Are the Days of Elijah. Well, I think these are a lot like the days of Elijah. Um, I remember when we went to uh, Jamaica one time, we would ride around this bus driven by a guy named Mr. Keys, and uh, he would play music uh, for us as we would use Christian music as we would go from place to place. And one time we were pulling into this uh, little town called Philadelphia and all of a sudden, that song, These Are the Days of Elijah, just started blaring as we, as we kind of pulled in. I thought it was kind of cool. It was kind of fired us up to get ready to, to go proclaim there in Philadelphia. It's kind of like, you know, when I played football back in the 80s. So it's kind of like listening to Eye of the Tiger before you went out and played football or something. It, it just kind of fired you up, you know. But, you know, these really, you know, remind us of the days of Elijah. It's an evil, t- you know, evil time. We need revival in our country. We need revival in our churches. So Elijah was called to uh, to call out Ahab and Jezebel and call the nation back to the Lord. And so he did that. He went and spoke to Ahab and Jezebel and said, "It's not going to rain for three. It's not going to rain. God's judging our your country, our country." Uh, So then God moves him uh, to a brook in Cherith. He provides for him there with uh, ravens bringing him food. He has water in the brook. But then the brook dries up. And that's kind of where we join in today. Uh, Then he sends him to Zarephath. He says, there's a widow who will provide for you there. And he gets there. He finds the widow and he says, hey, bring me some water. Another thing God told him to do was to stay there. He said, go to Zarephath and stay there. So when she comes back and says, well, I don't really have any food. I was about to make our last meal and then go die. It might make him question staying there. It wouldn't be. But But Elijah believed God. He obeyed God. And by faith, he declared that they would not starve, that God would provide. Through Elijah's obedience at the ravine and then his obedience with the widow, he realizes that God is all he needs. God is the source of Elijah's provision. And if we're going to look at uh, Elijah's powerful prayer this morning, let's, let's think about this. Powerful prayer stems from believing God to be our provision. Elijah had seen God protect him through drought and famine in the wilderness, and he knew God would provide for him there in Zarepath, which is, like I said, it's Baal territory, it's enemy territory. Um, He has the memory of what God has done in the past, and he has God's word in the present to know that he's where he should be. So we need to recognize that God is our source. That's why we need to come to him in prayer. I think when tough times hit or we go through various trials, We don't always trust God alone. We try to fix it ourselves first. Maybe we lean on our own understanding too much. So do we seek God with desperation? Or are we confident and comfortable with our own ideas and abilities? Is prayer a last resort? Or is it our first and only resort? I think we need to come to the Lord in prayer as a first resort. When faced with difficult decisions in our everyday lives, are we trusting God with everything? If we want to see God move in power, I believe we must first recognize our desperate need for him. We need to quit putting so much emphasis on ourselves, our position, our accomplishments, and fully come to him with our whole heart. Maybe you're here today and you're in a season like Elijah is going through here. You went where God was leading. You felt you did what God told you to do. And then the brook dries up. Then you're still trusting the Lord. He moves you to Zarephath. It's a new place, but the widow only has one meal left. So maybe that's where you feel like you are. And then he tells you to stay there. It might be easy to try to find a way out, but if God tells you to stay, you need to stay. So what do you do? Well, you trust him to be your provision. Keep being obedient. God has not forgotten you. Um, He put you there for a reason. He put Elijah here for a reason. He was a blessing to this, this widow and her son. Maybe you feel like the widow. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. I would say don't give up. Keep trusting God to be your provision. Uh, She had a choice, too. You know, Elijah said, go prepare us this meal. Um, She could have said, no, I'm going to take care of my son. We're going to do this. I'm going to do it my own way. And uh, that's going to be it. But, no, she trusted Elijah. She trusted the God of Elijah. Uh, So we need to trust God to be our provision. All of us must be tested as to whether we will take matters into our own hands or take them before the Lord. Too many times we rush into decisions or face crisis based on what we think is best without consulting the Lord. I heard somebody say we're wise in our own eyes, and I think that's a good description sometimes. We need to trust the Lord. And that goes to our second point. A powerful prayer demands faith and trust in God's timing. I'm sure the faith of Elijah is growing and strengthening as he experiences God's provision, even here in hostile territory in the middle of Baal worship. At the brook in Cherith, he learned that God can take care of me. God takes care of us. In Zarephath, he's learning that God can use him to take care of others. Maybe God puts us in a position, uh, it may not be comfortable to us, but we're there to take care of somebody else. We need to trust him for that. It takes faith and confidence in God to live like Elijah it takes faith to stay there as instructed it takes faith to trust in God's timing we must trust God's timing God's clock is not like our clock he will fulfill his promises in due time sometimes we have the fear of going slowly We want to help God out and hurry things up. But God's working, and if he's working, we need to let him work. You know, we we have examples of that in Scripture. In Genesis, you can look back, Abraham did that. Uh, God told him he promised him a son. Well, it wasn't coming quickly enough, so they took matters into their own hands and it made a mess. And I don't know about you, but I have been known to try to help God out every once in a while and hurry things up. And it usually makes kind of a mess. So let's trust God's timetable. His ways are not our ways. I think we can see that all through scripture. We need to trust his timing. And while we wait and while he works, God is stretching us. Our our view of God is expanding. We need that. We need to expand our view of God. He's a big God. We need to trust Him with big things. I think sometimes our problems seem so big, and one one way I heard it described is we look at them through a telescope, and we look at God through the microscope. Just the other way. God's so much bigger than our problems. So let me ask you this when was the last time you asked God for something you could not figure out? When's the last time you asked God for something that was way beyond your ability? If we could do it, we wouldn't need to ask him. So let's ask him. Let's let's turn our problems over to him. Let's trust him to be our provision. Let's wait for his timing. So I would say don't give up in prayer. You're praying and it seems like God's not answering. Don't give up. God's working. There's power in persistence. When you persist in prayer, God's timing is perfect and he is a big God. And so powerful prayer rises from a big view of God. We can trust God with the impossible situations. Let's pick up the story. You know, God has provided for Elijah and the widow and her son. The, uh, the oil hasn't given out. The flour hasn't given out. You know, Elijah is learning through all this process. It's a process, and God's taking him through this. and His faith is growing. You can see that because his prayers become um, just stronger and more powerful. Um I read it this way, one, one way. Um, Elijah was at the brook at Cherith, and it dried up. Well, that was, that was called Drybrook University. He's learning. Then he's sent to the widow in Zarephath, and she's got one meal left. Well, that's called empty-barreled graduate school. So he's still learning, and he's trusting God. And then let's look what happens in verse 17 of, ch- of chapter 17. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, man of God, why are you here? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up to this upstairs room where he was staying and laid laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah, and the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. You know, there seems to be blessing in that house for a time. Then tragedy strikes, and Elijah listens to the mother's reaction, and I think it's a natural human reaction what she says, it's hard to understand what has happened. Um, you know, we can't always know the reasons that everything happens. Uh, but then Elijah makes a bold request. He asked God for what would seem to be impossible. Bring the boy's life back. How did Elijah even think to ask this? I've wondered that. There's really no precedent, I don't think, in Scripture before this. How did he know? How did he think to ask that? Well, I think, for one, he had compassion for this family he was living with. I think he had, he had grown to know them. And I think he had compassion on them. They had been experiencing God's miraculous provision together. Elijah, Elijah's obedience has now led to great faith. And he has a great view of God. So he prays this powerful big prayer. You know powerful prayer doesn't mean always having the right answers. Or understanding God's purposes sure he didn't understand why the boy had died, but he, he came to the Lord and cried out in desperation. He cried out to God, and he prayed in faith. And God heard Elijah's cry. You know, God hears our prayers. He is sovereign and has a plan we may not understand, and he may not answer the way we ask or expect. You know, he, he may give us an answer we don't even expect, we never even thought of. But he hears his children, and he's still the God that raises the dead, heals the sick, feeds the multitudes, and gives sight to the blind. He's the God that created the universe. And that's who we have access to with our prayers. We can pray big, bold prayers because he's a big God. We need to expand our view of him. Look what the widow says back in back and forth. In verse twenty-four, then the woman said to Elijah, "Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true." Now she had seen God's power; she had had his, they'd had His provision with Elijah there. Their food hadn't run out, but she'd seen God's power through Elijah. What if the world around us could see? God's power in the people of God and in his church. Would that make a difference in the world around us? I think it would. Do we want to see revival, a fresh move of God? Do we want to do we want people to see God's power? Then we need to pray. I think one reason the world does not honor God today is because the church does not pray as we should. Michael Catt, in that book I was talking about reading, um, he mentioned this. He says, our churches are powerless because they are prayerless. Could that be the case? I had to think about that. Our churches are powerless because they are prayerless. Mm. How often are our prayers like Elijah's? Are we praying fervently? Are we praying much at all? Maybe we're depending too much on ourselves for all the answers think we need to spend more time crying out to God are our churches today known for God's power wouldn't it be great for people to see this at Northside for our community around us to be changed by the power of God because we band together to pray what if revival and a fresh move of God comes to Coweta County because we start praying together This power is available to us. God's all-powerful. It's available. Elijah prays powerful prayers. In the next chapter, like I said, he gets on Mount Carmel, he prays, and fire falls from heaven. So he's learned through this process to pray this way, but I wonder where it began. I wonder where this begins. Where could it begin for us? Well, let's look back at the first verse of chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain for the coming years except by my command. That phrase, in whose presence I stand, kind of stood out to me. We need to spend time in God's presence. We need to... Come before the Lord. Humble ourselves before the Lord and spend time with him. And and as we spend time in his presence, he will transform us. Uh, He'll transform our prayer life. We won't be the same. We can't be the same spending time in his presence. Um, He'll change us. Time in God's presence will lead us to repentance. Um, You know, we need... Our prayers need to be more than just a couple of lines thrown up to God right before we go to bed. We need to spend some time in the presence of the Lord. And as God exposes our sin, we need to repent and turn away from that. I believe in Elijah's life before the power came the preparation. And I believe it's the same with us. If we want revival, we must prepare our hearts. And repentance is going to come before revival. So let me ask you this, are you willing to let God change you? Will you ask God to change us here? Or are we satisfied with business as usual? So back to my original question, how would you describe your prayer life? Are you asking God for what only God can do? I believe we need healing and we need a fresh move from God. And so as we focus this year on prayer, I would like to ask us, can we do this? Can we come together to pray? And so here um, is our call to prayer. First, I'd like to ask you to do this. Spend time alone with God. Be intentional every day. Come into the presence of the Lord and spend time with him. Um, Make it a specific time. Be intentional about it. Spend time in adoration of who he is. Recognize he's a big God. Ask God to reveal sin in your life. And repent. When he reveals it, turn from it. Secondly, I'd ask you to pray for Northside. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to move. And I would say as we pray... Let's don't pray with any preconceived notions of how we want things to go. Just pray for God to move. Just don't tell him how to move. Let's just ask him to move. And then, one thing. Pray for a specific impossible situation in your life. Ask God to do what only God can do. Just think of one thing. I'd ask you to start praying for that. It might be an unsaved loved one, someone you've been praying for for a long time, bring them before the Lord, might be a health situation might be something specific for our church ask God to do what only God can do and then fourth, let's pray together we're going to have opportunities this year and we'll talk about that more but even now the deacons and elders uh, before every Sunday at 8 o'clock we gather together to pray, we've started to do that There's Wednesday night prayer meeting. This past year, we've made more of an emphasis on prayer during that prayer time. It's not just a Bible study. We stop and we pray. Come join us. There's Wednesday morning prayer time. I believe it's 9.30. The guys get together to pray. Uh, We may be talking about having prayer teams. We'd love to invite you to do that. And uh, so we'll, we'll lay more of this out as the coming years. But what I would like to say, we need to come together to pray. Back in uh, 1857 in New York City, there was a great revival. Um, what had happened is prosperity had come. A lot of the merchants and more wealthy people had started to move out of the city. So the, church, the bigger churches started to move out of the city to where they were. And what happened was the, the immigrants and the other workers, the people that do the work, came into the city. Um, there weren't a lot of churches there, but the ones that were there felt that they needed to go out and evangelize these new people. There was a guy named Jeremiah Lamphere who, it it was a burden on his heart. Uh, And so he started calling people to pray. Wednesdays for an hour, come together to pray. He distributed almost 20,000 flyers from what I read. Um, And so on Wednesday, September 27th, 1857, that was the day. That was the day they were coming together to pray. He went to a borrowed-upper room from a church and prayed and waited. For 30 minutes, no one showed up. Then he heard the footsteps of a few coming to the prayer meeting, and six other people joined him. Their numbers increased to 14 the next week, then 23 the next week. And the prayer meetings continued to grow, and the presence of God was so powerful, those who were in the meetings decided to have the gatherings every day come together to pray for an hour every day. And the numbers continue to increase. By the winter of 1857, prayer meetings were filling three large churches every day. And it is said there's uh, been a couple articles written about this. Uh, At at that point, over 10,000 people were being saved every week in New York City. God's a big God, and he moves in response to the prayers of his people. I believe if we come together to pray, we will see him move here. So let's pray powerful prayers like Elijah. Let's believe God to do what only God can do. Let's ask him to do it. And let's come together to do it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you for this example uh, in your word of Elijah. Lord, we need to spend time in your presence. Isaiah came before you and saw Saw you high and lifted up. And Before he could say, Lord, send me, he had to say, woe is me. Lord, you exposed the sin in his life. And God, I pray that you would do that for us and we would repent. We would come together to pray and that you would move here. And I thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As Curtis and Ann come, just ask that you would, you know, the invitation is just to join me in prayer this morning. Thank you. A church, member here, I'd like uh, for us to pray for. Um, Dee Dee, if you don't mind, we're gonna, I'm going to like to pray for you at this time. Dee Dee has a, uh, a test tomorrow a procedure. Um, there's a tumor in uh, the, the